Our first scripture reading today comes from Genesis, chapter 2, verses 5 through 7 and 15 through 17. Now no shrub had yet appeared on the earth, and no plant had yet sprung up. For the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth, and there was no one to work the ground. But streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground. Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat, of, eat from it, you will certainly die. Our second reading comes from Genesis 4, verses 3b through 9. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering. But on Cain and his offering he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry, and his face was downcast. Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, Let's go out into the field. While they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is your brother Abel? I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's keeper? This is the word of the Lord. Please pray with me. Lord, our, our eyes and ears have already feasted a bit this morning on your revelation, the revelation of your word, the revelation of creation. Now would you continue to reveal your will, your word, and your life to us. In Jesus' name, amen. On Christian colleges uh, throughout this country, um, there are more and more Christian young people that are learning to unite their concern for the care of creation with their faith. This hasn't always been the case. And, and it doesn't stop at the classroom. It's not just what they're studying. They're actually getting politically involved and, and also recycling their soda cans. And, and in this way, they're, they're trying to bring together the care of creation with their Christian discipleship. One um, young woman said, I grew up thinking environment, liberal, bad. But her freshman year in college was the turning point. When I read the Evangelical Youth Climate Initiative, I was encouraged by its message and challenged to act as a Christian for environmental justice issues. Now fortunately, in this neck of the woods in the Reformed Church, we have Camp Fowler. And there's that constant vibe at Camp Fowler that connects the care of creation with following Jesus. And so we're really blessed in that way. But this connection should also make sense to us who've been involved in this series about our being made to reign 
or as Casey put it, being in charge. It's, it's uh, and, and because specifically we are told that we are in charge of creation and of God's creatures. We've been reflecting upon these four actions, these four movements, sort of like the movements of a dance. Conquering, creating, caring for, and then finally consulting. And all of those have been involved intensely in this process of getting to the point where Sharon and I could have our vaccine this last Sunday. I mean, all the conquering that had to happen, you know, all the obstacles, all the failures along the way to, to take on that, to actually create the different vaccines. There's the race against time. I mean, this is the sort of process that usually takes years, if not decades. It's unpre unprecedented that it happened this quickly. And then there's all the obstacles of figuring out how to store it, how to distribute it, transport it. And some of us have come against those obstacles, especially early on, the, the hours spent on the phone or on the internet trying to figure out how to sign up. And even last Sunday when we were waiting in line, there were a lot of really old people, even older than us, who were disabled, you know, dealing with their difficulties, and in that cold where we were outside for quite a long time as, as, the, as the casino was still trying to figure out how to do this. And then there's uh, you know, all the creativity that's, that's been at work in this process. And the caring for. After waiting for quite a long time, we finally arrived at that table and there were three women who really cared for us. They were so friendly. Took our information, administered the vaccine. I hardly even felt it. And then the 15 minutes afterwards, were there other people who cared for us? And then finally, consultation, consulting. I can't imagine all the consultation that's had to happen along the way for all of this to be coordinated and to happen. So this one amazing aspect of our lives right now demonstrates the movements of, of, of what are involved in reigning, of being in charge, of conquering, of creating, caring for, and consulting. Well, today, I want to especially focus on the third. We've already talked about the first two, but the focus on caring for. It's actually the first thing that God gave human beings to do. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden to work it and to take care of it. And um, we have, we've talked in the past about how the creation account is really sort of in the form of, of, of God creating a cathedral with a dome. That's how it's described in chapter 1. And Adam and Eve are the first humans, are, are, are priest or high priest and high priestess in this creation. And it ends up that these words to work and to take care of are the very words that are used to describe what the priest would do later in the tabernacle in the, in the temple. The very same verbs. And it's also interesting that the word work and the word worship are the same word in Hebrew. So, so you know, it, it serves the same purpose and unites those two things. And the Eden ideal is worshipful work. Now we may wonder, so what did they do? I mean, what, what is the work they had to do? And the Bible often doesn't fill in a lot of details. We may have the idea that in a perfect world, we'd never have to work again. 
But that's not the biblical understanding of perfection and completion. Whatever work they had to do, it was holy work. It was good work. It's what they were created to do. And likewise, in our own lives, work is a beautiful and good thing, or it can be. Sharon and I, because of the pandemic, didn't have the opportunity this last summer to go to St. Gregory's Abbey in, uh, in Three Rivers, Michigan. And you know, the Benedictines have this spirituality, sort of like Celtic spirituality, that unites work with worship. And so they have seven worship services a day. They call them seven divine offices. And it's, it's not like, okay, those are the times that they worship, and the rest of the time they work or do whatever they do. This is uh, Father William worshiping. He just happens, in this case, to be worshiping in the kitchen rather than in the chapel. And that's how the monks understand their life. It's all worship. And it's all worshipful work. Even the word liturgy means work of the people. So when they're in the chapel, they're working. And when they're in the kitchen, they're worshiping. It's all of a piece. And again, that's the Eden ideal, that we engage in worshipful work, that we have a sense of the sacredness of what we're doing and that we do it for the glory of God. So let's uh, think specifically uh, about three things in relationship to um, what we care for. We care for creation, and we care for uh, each other, and finally, we care for ourselves. The Bible starts with Adam caring for a garden. Very first task. We talk about being in charge. We talk about reigning. This is where it begins. In Psalm 8, um, you know, we read about human beings um, being rulers over the work of God's hands. But earlier it says, You have made them a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned them with glory and honor. What are mere mortals that you are mindful of them? Human beings that you care for them. God isn't some distant deity like the deists used to believe. Like he just sort of created this whole thing, wound it up like a clock, and now is just kind of watching it unwind. He's involved. He's engaged. He cares for his creation. And we're a part of that creation. And all of creation, as Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, I want you to love your enemies because I do. I take care of them every day. The sun, the rain, I provide for their material, physical needs. God is a God who cares for us. But the thing is, when we care for creation, we're also caring for each other and ourselves. These are all of a piece. And so um, I find it interesting what the writer highlights, first of all, when talking about what we seem to need. Now, we all need food, right? If I already said, okay, what is the absolute thing that we need? We, I think we all say, well, yeah, we need food to survive. But it's interesting what the author mentions first. The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye. And good for food. It seems that we, as we attend to this world and care for it and have the opportunity to be exposed to its beauty, 
we're nourishing ourselves. We're nourishing our own souls. In his book, uh, Culture Care, Makoto Fujimura, who is an artist, shares this personal story. As a newlywed couple, my wife and I began our journey with very little. After Judy and I got married in the summer of 1983, we moved to Connecticut for Judy to pursue her master's degree in marriage counseling. I taught at a special education school and painted at home. We had a tight budget and often had to ration our food, lots of tuna cans, just to get through the week. One evening, I was sitting alone waiting for Judy to come home to our small apartment, worried about how we were going to afford the rent and pay for necessities over the weekend. Our refrigerator was empty, and I had no cash left. Then Judy walked in, and she had brought home a bouquet of flowers. I really got upset. How could you think of buying flowers if we can't even eat? Judy's reply has been etched in my heart for over 30 years now. We need to feed our souls, too. And so it's all soul work. Our caring for creation, we're caring for our own souls in the process. In 2050, according to the World Economic Forum, there will be as much plastic by weight in the ocean than fish. And I find it interesting that it's the World Economic Forum that's making this statement. We tend to pit financial interests against caring for creation. But more and more of the business, um, uh, the, the business realm is in business people and corporations are recognizing we can't pit these against one another. We're not going to have healthy economies, much less healthy countries, unless we have the resources to fuel them. And yes, we need food, we need resources, and we also need beauty. And so uh, bad stewardship of the environment is just bad business. Some of us are older. Um, I probably am not going to have a whole lot of inheritance money to share with my kids, but that's not really the inheritance that matters. The inheritance that ultimately matters is the earth. In the Bible, the word inheritance most of the time applies to the land. And so when the people of Israel were traveling, traveling through the desert to the promised land, it's often described as God's inheritance for them loving and caring for our family means that we will care for creation and we will love creation in that way and so when we uh, recycle when we turn off the lights or plant a tree or use less water and less pesticides herbicides when we clean up litter around the neighborhood, these things in themselves may seem really small, but it's the accumulation of these that can make a difference. And in the process, again, we feed and nourish our own souls. There's that understanding of the soul that's actually Gnostic and that 
that seeped into Christianity. And it's that idea that there is this soul in us that when we die, that soul goes up into heaven and that this body doesn't really matter. You've heard me say many times that, there, that and well, the creed itself that we heard, we believe in the resurrection of the dead. Resurrections have to do with bodies. And actually, it's in this passage that we read that we understand the biblical understanding of soul. Then the Lord formed a man from the dust of the ground. And the image here, by the way, is of God causes the water to, to flow out of the ground. There's springs. And so the dust and the water form this, this mud. And so God uses this mud to sculpt us into being. And breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living soul. That's the word. Nefesh. It's not just some mysterious, un, <laughs> undiscoverable part of ourselves. It's the entirety of ourselves. A, a nefesh is our entire being. And so we are connected to creation. We have this divine aspect of God's breath, but we also have this material aspect. And so again, when we care for creation, we care for ourselves and our own souls, the entirety of our being. And you know, this, I think, applies to all those spaces where we live, work, play, and learn, where we kind of pick up the clutter, maybe rearrange things periodically. And, you know, it doesn't take a lot of money. I mean, we may have a wish list. If I had enough money, this is what I wish I could do. No, we're not, we're not going to be perfectionists. And even when things aren't per perfect, there's often a beauty to them, isn't there? Sometimes it seems even more beautiful than things that seem so squeaky clean perfect. And so we can joyfully, with the resources we have, with the limited energy and time and abilities that we have, seek to bring beauty to those spaces and those environments and to care for them. This is a part of what we're supposed to do. This is why we're in charge, and it's a part of our ruling and reigning. And then there's caring for each other. We've already read about how God cares for us. When we care for each other, we're simply mirroring what he does when he cares for all of us. And, you know, the Bible's really clear. We're supposed to love our neighbor as ourselves, right? And basically, caring for each other is something we end up talking about at least part of the sermon, I think, virtually every week, right? I mean, we, we always talking about, we're always talking about caring for each other, loving each other. What I'd like to focus on in, in the next few moments is something that can be in the way of that. And it's something we don't often talk about, even though it's, it permeates our entire culture. And I think of, of Adam and how he was invited by God to name the animals. You know, sometimes naming things, we, we begin to develop a relationship with them. It's not so unconscious. And, and I, you know, I love it when Casey has those actual physical animals on the screen. I think we all take delight in that. And uh, sometimes the, the, uh, the word animal can be a metaphor for parts of ourselves, instincts in ourselves. And so we have... Um, we have aspects of ourselves that, um, that include being afraid. We've talked about that. Uh, can include anger. Can include uh, overdoing it when it comes to a particular gift that, 
that God has given us to enjoy. And, um, and, and yet, when we think about caring for each other, I think it's the story uh, that involves uh, Cain and Abel that identifies this one thing that we can name that it seems to be a part of our human spirit and we don't talk about very, very often. And that thing is uh, competition. Um, so here's Cain. And again, we don't have many details. All, all we know is that for some reason, God had more favor towards Abel's offering than he did towards Cain's. We're not sure if it was because of the quality of the offering that um, um, Cain decided, okay, so uh, I'm, I'm never going to use those crops. I'll just bring them to God. Or if it was his heart. His heart wasn't in it. I think of uh, Isaiah. These people come to me with their lips and, 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 their, and their mouths, but their hearts are far from me. I wonder if already there may have been at work some kind of competitive spirit. Anyway, after all was said and done, God actually tried to do an intervention. He says, I know what you're thinking. Don't do it. And this is God intervening. And so a little later, God comes to Cain and says, so where's your brother? And Cain says, am I my brother's keeper? It's the same word that we found in the garden. To work the garden and take care of it. Same word. Am I responsible for taking care of my brother? Now, there is something sort of satanic about that statement. In the sense that, you remember the serpent who said, is it true that you can't eat from any of the trees in the garden? It was a gross exaggeration, right? I mean, there's only one tree they couldn't eat from. And it's certainly true that unless you're, you know, we have little children, we're not responsible for where everyone is all the time. Am I responsible for knowing where my brother is every single moment of every day? He's an adult. He can take care of himself. Yeah, that's true. And at the same time, we do have a responsibility for each other. We, we don't have total responsibility, but we do have responsibility to care for each other and to contribute to each other's blessing and flourishing. I wonder how often competition gets in the way. Now, competition is kind of like money. We didn't come up with the idea. It's a part of us. And, and money can be a good thing, and yet, for Jesus, it was the most, one of the most dangerous things. He knew that money would, would ultimately compromise our discipleship, cause us to give less priority to Jesus, and so he warned us about this again and again, even as there were several women who supported the disciples and Jesus with their money. So it can be used for a good purpose. And competition is like that. It can be a good thing. It can contribute to the flourishing of life, and it's really, really dangerous. And in our society, it's so much a part of our life, right? Competition in the, in the workplace, competition in the marketplace, competition on the ball field. And again, it's not that competition itself is bad. But if we find ourselves, um, rather than serving each other, trying to take advantage of one another, or this thing of comparing ourselves, and that can be almost constant. 
Comparing our appearance with another person's appearance? Comparing our house with another person's house? Comparing our car, if you're a guy, with another person's car? I suppose that can happen for women as well. We, we can compare all our, our life, our life with someone else's life, how much difficulty we have compared to other people. And so this sort of comparing and competing can sort of consume our thinking, something that's just the opposite of caring for and worshiping and loving. So I thought this morning I would just try to name something we don't often talk about. When life becomes all about winning and not losing, then we've got a problem. And then when we do win, we find ourselves in the winner's circle, we, we look at those who are in the loser's circle and we think, well, they must have done something wrong. Even if, you know, it may be that we actually got a head start because of what color of our skin is, because of what our parents had, because of the neighborhood we grew up in. We might, may have actually had a head start, but we're looking at people who, yeah, they must have done something. They just didn't try as hard as I did. And they may have tried three times as hard to get to where they are. It's not about winning. And I love that poem, which is such a counterpoint to this, such a challenge to this in Philippians 2. There's Adam and Eve trying to be like God, and then there's Jesus who emptied himself and let go of his equality with God and became human and became a slave and, be, and became a servant to the point of death, even death. On a cross. Someone has called that downward mobility. And so we just need to be careful. And maybe sometimes naming something in our own spirit, especially if we find ourselves comparing ourselves with other people, which often leads to criticism, get to cut people down or somehow build ourselves up, that will be in the way of our caring about each other and for each other. And finally, there's caring for ourselves. Now, I know this gets tricky, and uh, certainly there are those commercial, commercials that still pop up that say in one form or another, it's all about you. And we want to really be careful not to slip into that way of thinking. Um, I think many of us realize that if we don't care for ourselves, we're not going to care very well for other people. And God himself gives, uh, gives us his example. We're told that on the seventh day, God rested from all his labors. Now, did God have to rest? Actually, that word rest is a very rich word biblically, and we won't go into all of that. But at least that, that aspect of rest, that is rest, is alluded to in the Ten Commandments when it says that we are to rest on the seventh day just as God rested. At the very least, he's giving us an example to follow, to give us permission and to encourage us, and in the case of the Jews, even mandating that they take rest. We need rest. It's a part of caring for ourselves. Just as we need food and just as we need beauty. But you know, I also want to be careful of being too utilitarian and functional. 
I want to be careful of saying, okay, yeah, I, I have to take care of myself so that I can take care of others. That somehow I have to justify resting, justify taking care of myself because, you know, if I don't, I won't be able to take care of others. I mean, that's, that's profoundly true. But it's not all that's true. We've seen how these bodies, this, this being is a part of creation. We are called to care for and care about creation. And God delights when we delight. My guess is there isn't anyone in this room when Casey is doing that children's message and Wesley all of a sudden shows up and, and, and thinks, there's that kid again. Why doesn't his mother have control of that kid? You know, what kind of parent is she? What kind of grandparent is Laura? No, none of us is thinking that. We delight when he shows up, right? We delight when Wesley is delighted. And God, our Father, delights when we delight in his creation. It's not, not simply, well, you know, I have to get some nourishment so I can serve others. <laughs> well, that's true. But that's not the most profound truth. We were made not just to eat food so that we can have nourishment, but to enjoy it, even to enjoy the appearance of it. So we don't have to feel guilty for delighting in God's good gifts. It's a part of caring for ourselves because we're a part of that creation too. It's only selfish if we are primarily concerned about our own blessing and flourishing and to the neglect of those around us. Yeah, this is tricky, but let's not shoot ourselves in the foot by thinking, well, caring for myself is just selfish, or, well, I have to do it, I suppose, if, I, if I'm going to care for others. That's true. You know, Wesley isn't thinking about any of that. And Jesus said if you wanted to enter the kingdom and to experience its full blessing, you need to become like a child. Stop worrying about being selfish. The more you delight and enjoy and take in God's goodness, the better friend you're going to be and co-worker and spouse and parent and neighbor. Marilyn Robinson, the Pulitzer Prize winning author, wrote a book called Gilead. That's the one that she won the prize for. And uh, it's about a, a pastor, actually, who's old and failing in his health. He married a young woman in his church, and so his child is very, very young. He's not able to share many of the things he wishes he could share with his child. And so the book is his writing, what he hopes eventually his son will be able to read. And at one point, he has this memory of a couple that he saw walking the sun had come up brilliantly after a heavy rain and the trees were glistening and very wet. On some impulse, plain exuberance, I suppose, the fellow jumped up and caught hold of a branch and a storm of luminous water came pouring down on the two of them and they laughed and took off running. The girl sweeping water off her hair and her dress as if she were a little bit disgusted, but she wasn't. It was a beautiful thing to see, like something from a myth. I don't know why I thought of that now, except perhaps because it is easy to believe in such moments that water was made primarily for blessing 
and only secondarily for growing vegetables or doing the wash. I wish I had paid more attention to it. My list of regrets may seem unusual, but this is an interesting planet. It deserves all the attention you can give it. And a memory just came to mind. Levi, little tyke, he climbed everything. And one time I was putting him to bed one night. He had just taken a shower. And he, he said, Dad, water is amazing. Yes, it is. So caring for creation, caring for each other, caring for ourselves, actually are all of a piece like the Trinity. And the thing is, we can do those things without anxiety. You want to know why? Because He cares for us. Let's pray. Lord, one way we care for one another is by praying for each other. It's one of the ways we partner with you in caring for your creatures and creation. We pray for the many victims of COVID, including the families of those who have lost loved ones and those who have had lingering effects from this illness, including our neighbor Norm, the barber. We pray for Stephanie, who just tested positive yesterday after her roommate tested positive. We pray that she will continue to feel okay and that you will protect her family. We pray for Ray and Diane. We pray that Ray would get stronger each day. We pray for Wayne and Patty with the challenges they are having to overcome. And would you bless the care that Patty is trying to provide? as well as Nicole and Christopher. We pray that Nancy would experience more and more healing in her back and that you would sustain and heal Alan and Pam as well, that you meet the needs of Chuck as well as Roseanne. And we pray for Gerlinda that the mystery of why she has felt so poorly would be solved. Please heal her. And we pray for Deb as she recovers from her many accidents and illnesses over the last year. Bring her back to health. And Lord, we pray for our president and for our politics and for our economy as well as our sense of civic responsibility about what it means to be good servants and citizens. May it be based less on our grievances and more on a sincere desire for the common good for peace and justice for all. And now, Holy Spirit, would you sanctify and infuse this meal that we are about to share. And together let us pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.